0: Okay.
1: <laughs> you okay. <laughs> you gonna be all right?
0: Part of me died a little.
1: <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah.
0: When you're on take two and then. <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we just had another tech error. So the first 20 minutes of our footage were unrecoverable. But um, we are.
0: Can you do the, the little like fuzzy screen thing?
1: Fuzzy screen thing?
0: You know, when like the TV, old school TVs used to go out?
1: Oh, oh, I might be able to put something in there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want you to the static.
0: Or this SpongeBob thing. Three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so do that. Do that one.
1: Two hours later. <laughs> okay
0: you're going to get real mucusy my friend yep (laughs) Christian stress eats yogurt
1: what were we talking about I don't know (laughs) but we hadn't gotten to stonewalling yet
0: oh that's what I was talking about yeah that's what I was talking about stonewalling
1: (laughs) stonewalling (laughs) that's a very that's a very um male thing that they were talking about Mm -hmm. yeah explain it Uh, Basically, stonewalling is not exclusively male, of course, but stonewalling is a typically a less conscious technique. You're not doing it on purpose, but it is something that hinders a relationship because basically instead of being part of the conversation, you shut down or rather you just sit there and you don't say anything. You put a wall up and you just are kind of, I think John Gottman said, when the men in his study were asked what they're thinking when they're stonewalling, almost all of them said, I'm thinking, when will this be done? Mm -hmm. When can I just leave this conversation? And of course, like, there are certainly conversations where people, there is one person completely ripping into and berating the other person and all that person is gonna wanna do is shut down and wait for that conversation to be over Mm because that's not really a conversation. Um, But in the case of when it is one person attempting to bring up a concern or just talk about their feelings or anything along those lines and the other person is stonewalling, it completely hinders the communication in a relationship.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it can, it can, often be one of the the death blows
0: and i used to do this because if you watch our most recent episode um I grew up with a very angry family. So my only way to get through our fights or, you know, like my parents berating me was to just shut down. And then I carried that on into adult relationships. Now I'm better. Now I'm a little too vocal (laughs) (laughs) about when I don't like what someone's saying. Um, But, yeah, you got to find a a good balance there for sure. Yeah. I don't
1: have anything to add to that, I think. It's pretty simple, simple concept, yeah. Yeah.
0: So criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. Um, so say you say something negative, you need to say five positive things to counteract that one negative thing. And I think that's really important because we're all human. We don't always say the nicest things, but to realize like, or to remember to just take a pause, you know? Um, And this is something that I have tried practicing myself and I've been successful in certain situations where I feel upset, I feel that anger, I want to say something kind of nasty and then I just (laughs) breathe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: The more you're conscious about how your words affect other people, Um, at least for me, the more I've realized that it's not worth it. It's not worth it, you know, being nasty. Or even like, even if you're not nasty, but just like getting angry back, just trying to have a rational conversation, a calm conversation. And even if you need to walk away from that situation for a little bit so that you Mm. don't say anything damaging, I think that's way better. Because you're gonna have to say a lot more positive things to make up for that, if you can.
1: They were talking about how the five to one, when he went into early into his research, he figured, you know, if you could make it one to one or just better, if you could make the positive in a relationship just better than the negative, Mm -hmm. then it would outweigh the negative, right? And Mm -hmm. that should, everything should be okay. He was stunned in learning that it literally takes like five times the amount or 10 times the amount in some cases. But over the last, I think it was like 10 to 20 years from now, we've had a lot of data to show like how the brain actually works. So it's not just Mm -hmm. psychology, it's like neuropsychiatry. Um, We have a lot of data to show like how powerful the emotional cortex is. And it's literally it overrides the logic center in the brain by Mm -hmm. five times the strength because all of the information we take goes into the emotional cortex first and then into the logical center in the brain. So and everything kind of is very irrational and um, hyper. Like you could say emotional, but like, it's just very, uh, it could, if it's perceived as negative, it's just going to be like a super powerful negative response. Um, so yeah, it's just really, really hardwired into us that the small negative thing can be a very big, long lasting impression in somebody. So it's really important, um, to override that in a relationship
0: yeah and you said something that I think is um, important to realize is that sometimes people perceive what you say is negative even if that's not your intention mm-hmm. now you may be thinking well I can't control for how they perceive things and that's true to a certain degree um but that does, mean that we should be careful about what we say and be considerate about what we say Mm -hmm. Um, and you know for parents out there good news Um, as a parent you only need to get it right most of the time I don't have a statistic for you but, (laughs) (laughs) but most of the time you just need to get it right kids are really resilient so when you get it wrong apologize
1: Yeah, get it wrong, make it right. Make it right. That's that's the big thing.
0: And I think it's the same for adults too. I mean, we hold grudges more than kids usually do. Um, But I think if you're just getting it right most of the time and then you're humble when you get it wrong.
1: I liked what you brought up there. You said um, that you can't, you know, people will perceive something even though that's not your intention or how you want it to come across. And you could say, well, that's not my problem. But what is your problem is the quality of your relationship with that person. And if that is in any way, shape or form meaningful to you, then it becomes your responsibility to deal with that relationship. So it's easy to say like, oh, well, that's their fault. They took it that way. (laughs) Right. I didn't mean it that way. Um, And in some cases, you can stand your ground on it. In other cases, it's worth it to investigate the problem because you are the person who wants that relationship with the other person. Right. Well, if you want that relationship. Yeah, if you want the relationship. If you, you could want to, say yeah.
0: like, fuck it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that relationship ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that I think about is if you put yourself in the other person's shoes, because we all perceive things through a filter. Yep. So what about when you perceive something as negative? Do you want that person to be like, meh, it's your problem? Or would you like them to be empathetic and understanding? Yeah, yeah. Um, agreeability makes people better suited for relationships Mm -hmm. because agreeable people can get along with a wider range of other people, Um, which makes sense. And so he was saying that if you're not the most agreeable person, chances are you're gonna end up with someone that's agreeable um, and strike that kind of balance. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole point of that, like why I wrote that down is I don't think you can necessarily change your personality or who you are, but recognizing that if your goal is to maintain a relationship and, you know, get along with this person, then that will make it a lot easier.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think balance is really important. Um, Agreeableness is just like, obviously, to get along with people, you have to be really agreeable, right? And um, I think if you are too agreeable, particularly as a guy in relationships, your relationships won't last.
0: Particularly as a guy.
1: I think men are sought after to be more assertive and aggressive. Particularly assertive, but there there is an an attractiveness to the aggressiveness of males, um, like to a degree, right? Not violence, but like aggressiveness. Um, but assertiveness is a masculine trait. And if you were- I don't think so. It is.
0: I'm assertive.
1: Then that's a masculine trait that you have.
0: Well, wouldn't it be a feminine trait because I'm female?
1: No, that's not how that works. <laughs>
0: I know a lot of assertive women. Yeah,
1: it's a but it's a masculine trait.
0: How do you define what's a trait is masculine and what's feminine?
1: You gotta look it up and there's a category. <laughs>
0: I'm not kidding. You just googled this up, but what's the science behind no, no, it? No, it's
1: it's it's like it's psychological categorization. That's that's how it's done.
0: But what a masculine Like if you
1: go to a psychologist, they'll tell you the difference between the traits.
0: But how do they know that?
1: well, it's just determined and agreed upon in society. Like among amongst the study and amongst the class of psychology, it's just an agreed upon, these are the masculine traits, these are the feminine traits, because if they don't agree on it, then it can't be studied, right? There has to be an agreed definition for what things are. Otherwise, nothing will ever get done.
0: Agree to disagree.
1: But that—that's a—that's what I think.
0: There are differences between men and women, for sure. But I think that there are some traits that I don't know, like being caring. Guys can be caring too, or nurturing, or whatever. Yeah,
1: that's a feminine trait. But that's—it's a feminine trait. We both have male, and so women and men have both feminine and masculine characteristics. Yeah, it's just people, individuals, have more dominant of one or the other.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Ah.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but how do they decide, though? Like, what's the research behind it? Do they, do they just study men and women and decide who has it more? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: And, and like that's not just, like, clinical. It's, like, historical data. Like, women did this in society, men did this in society, and, you know, this was the behavior, this was the behavior, yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're clobbering dinosaurs, and women yep. were breastfeeding the babes.
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm not allowed to be assertive and ask a question?
1: Uh, okay. All right, what were we?
0: Slips table.
1: Agree. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sometimes we're not agreeable. With no, each
1: no, other. no, 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 uh, no. Okay. What was I saying? If you're too agreeable, particularly as a man, your relations, you will have trouble with your relationships because men are typically sought after for a little more assertiveness. That's not all the time. As we've discussed. <laughs> but uh, but it is something that a lot of women look for. They look for men to be assertive and make, the, make particular decisions. Or in some cases, I've been, I've dated a lot of women who were like, they want someone to just make all the decisions. Like, no joke. They just want you to, like, not even ask, just make the decision for me. Like, it's so common. Do you um, like
0: that dynamic? No. <laughs> like, because I'm I'm tired. <laughs> 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 oh, <a> <laughs> Will you only have, like
1: what do they call that that's that's being studied now the uh
0: spoons spoon theory
1: spoon theory what oh oh no the spoon theory with um uh willpower right what are you talking about
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love you so much (laughs) we're gonna put this
1: these gotta be highlights these are got to be highlights
0: i just want you to know how much i love you (laughs)
1: What is spoon
0: theory? I think we're going a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We need to crack a window or something. Um, Spoon theory is um, the concept that you only have a limited amount of spoons that you can use. And so, um, for example, you use a spoon. Uh, to go to work you use a spoon to do a podcast you use your spoon to walk your dog kind of thing yeah. um and then eventually you're going to run out of spoons yeah
1: that's precise that's exactly what it is yeah yeah the amount ima- is yeah the willpower that you have in a day or the ability to make choices um but i'm a lot better with making choices now so mm-hmm. i actually recognize that and i kind of like prep myself if um excuse me if i'm dating somebody and i know like or we're gonna make a plan, I kind of make a quick mental note, like be prepared to make a decision at this time kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and I'm getting pretty good at it, actually. So.
0: so you don't wanna be with someone that wants you to make all the decisions, <clears> though. <throat> so. I don't I don't I,
1: I don't think anybody should be with someone who needs them to make all of the decisions. I think if you can't, if they don't like being asked once, like, you know general questions about like, like would you where like
0: do you <laughs> Where do you want to eat where do you want to eat is a brutal... kryptonite yeah for every girl
1: but but that's like everybody can't decide what they want to eat right like guys do that too guys are like i don't fucking know what i want to eat really yep i think women are just slightly more indecisive about it but but guys will sit and figure out what they want to eat or then just not eat for two hours trying to figure out what they want to eat. <laughs> it's a, it's the same thing. But yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be with someone who needs me to make every decision for them. That's just coddling a baby. Right. Like I want to be able to have a conversation with somebody and be like, we ate this yesterday. What are we going to eat today? Like mm-hmm. or I did this. I decided this. You decide this. Right. Kind of change it up a little bit.
0: Some women like to be coddled by their daddy.
1: That is true.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, for myself personally, I like to have a healthy balance. Um, Usually I'm the person that decides, you know, what events we're going to. But then my partner decides what we're going to eat. So, Hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah. And then just a quick finish this topic off. (laughs) Disagreeableness. People who are in highly successful career positions tend to be more disagreeable, whether you're male or female. um, And they often have a hard time leaving that disagreeableness at the door when they get home.
0: Why are they more disagreeable? And how does that correlate with being successful?
1: Um, Because you are, When you are more disagreeable, you are more prone to getting what you want done, done. Mm -hmm. You're you're a little sharper with the choices you make. You don't um, you don't kind of flip flop on things. So it it kind of branches out into like assertiveness and like decision making. And um, but yeah, you you don't bend over to people. You get done what needs to get done. So a lot of people who are in management positions or business owners are very disagreeable people, hmm. yeah.
0: I wonder if you can strike a balance there.
1: I think you can, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so one thing that really stood out to me in this podcast, well, there was a lot of things, but one big one is that the biggest relationship killer is thinking that the grass is greener on the other side um, and keeping that mindset and oh my God, That is our dating culture right now. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: They people think the grass is greener before they've even checked out your grass. Know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so I think if you're always looking for better, you're never gonna find it. People aren't perfect, and yes, you should have standards, and yes, there should be things that, you know, traits that you can and cannot handle. That's okay. Um, But I think. Realizing that everyone has flaws is really important because you're never going to find a perfect person. And in fact, you are not a perfect person. So someone being with you, being committed to you, they're not looking for someone better. Um, Yeah. So also, I just don't know how people date right now. I just...
1: Swipe, 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 swipe. That's your date for the day. Eight swipes. Pathetic.
0: <laughs> well, you go on dates.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you get them to the date? Um, How are you like, ladies? <laughs> check out my grass.
1: <laughs> I, I've actually just come to the conclusion that, like, I, there's a, the reason why I took everything off my dating profile. It's just pictures now.
0: Oh, I liked your profile.
1: I did, too. Um, and then I realized none of the women, like nobody cares what you have to say. No, they don't. But, but that's like, that's how low the bar is now, is that it's just about how you look on these, on these apps for the, for the men. It's just about how you look has nothing to do with it. Any, your, your profile doesn't fucking matter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was my struggle too because it was (laughs) killing me last time and that was in june and i'm sure it's gotten worse since then um but i tried everything i tried a different bio i changed my bio so many times i tried sexier photos i tried uh, not as sexy photos and it's just like you could be naked and guys still won't get off their ass to go on a date with you so,
1: yeah, and same same for girls. Some girls literally they just do it for hits of dopamine. They don't even know what they're doing. They're just swiping and they have no intention of ever meeting you. I just don't
0: understand. Like, do people not want to date anymore? Is that what it is?
1: I think there's I think that well, right now, something that's being talked about for the last year, largely in the, the dating and relationship advice community is this mass exodus of men leaving the dating field because there's no, basically there's no quality standard.
0: You mean like incels?
1: No, men are just deciding that it is not worth it to waste their time on people that don't care about them and they want to level up their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah.
0: You shouldn't waste your time on people that don't care about you. Yeah. 100%. But that's what makes it really hard is that when you're dating, you're like, oh, fuck, no one cares. (laughs) Man, I miss when I first started dating. It was so much easier then.
1: I remember Tinder back like 2016. Tinder 2016. OG Tinder. Yeah. It was similar, but things were very different. People were more willing to go out and... I mean, obviously that wasn't COVID either, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. It's just changed people, the way people behave now has changed so much in five years.
0: This is slightly off topic or taking us in a different direction, but how do you meet people if you don't meet them online?
1: It's hard now. The best way that I have heard from anybody is that The highest quality way to meet somebody. Is going to be through other friends. Mm. It's that seems to be the way that people actually take dating somebody seriously is when you meet somebody through somebody that you already know. And whether you click or Even if it's kind of like set up, like, oh, you know, got this friend, you should come meet her, you know, we'll have a dinner together, that kind of thing. It just seems like the more natural method wins out. Yeah.
0: You never set me up with anyone. I didn't need to. (laughs) It's true. It all worked out in the end. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. The only thing with getting your friends to set you up with someone is like. It's difficult. I've had that once. You know who you are, Robin. <laughs> I'm straight up calling her out. <laughs>
1: That's going in there.
0: <laughs> to be fair, she didn't know how much of a loser this person was. Mm-hmm. But I think she also just set me up with him based on his looks. And oh, so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. So I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully I, I won't ever have to worry about that.
1: I hope you don't either. Yeah. I don't
0: have any female friends to set you up with. I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine working on myself. Oh. <laughs> I think, yeah, the big takeaway from from that, when you think the grass is always greener, it, the grass is only green where there's water. So if you don't water your grass, you don't get green grass. It doesn't matter who you jump in bed with or who you jump the fence what yard you're in. If there's no water, grass is brown.
0: It's deep. Um, deep
1: in grass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think um, looks are important. But the other thing I realized is that I used to chase after guys who um, <clears throat> had a very particular look and um, and nothing wrong with that. But when you just focus on looks, you forget about someone's character. And I went out with a lot of douchebags because I just thought like, oh, this person's hot. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that's not a great filtering system. And um, I don't know, for me, um, of course, like, you know, I'm attracted to my partner, but What's more important is that I'm building a relationship that lasts a lifetime because we're all going to get old and saggy one day. So. <laughs> so another really helpful tactic um, when you're in a disagreement with partner or with anyone in general is to postpone persuasion until you can repeat your partner's point of view to their satisfaction. So.
1: Mm, great. I love that when they were talking about that. Yeah, go mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, persuasion is like you're trying to convince them of something. And so they're telling you how they feel. And um, you need to be able to understand how they feel and repeat it back to them. And I think that's really important because, first of all, it shows that you're listening to them. It shows that you're validating their feelings. Um, and that that's more important than you trying to get your way. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to get your way, but if it comes at a cost of someone else's feelings, is it really worth it, you know? Um,
1: Not in a quality relationship.
0: Nope, not at all. We're going into sexy stuff. So one thing John Gottman said is that you're always making love, which means that everything you do outside of the bedroom is sex. So if you're wondering, hey, my partner doesn't seem very horny right now. Well, what did you do that day? Did you mm. show your appreciation? You don't have to buy them gifts or anything, but did you give them a kiss before you went to work? Give them a little snuggle in bed. You tell them that they looked good. Um, do you when you came home? Were you annoyed or angry? Were <laughs> you like, why isn't dinner made?
1: <laughs> my dinner's never made. <laughs>
0: I have to make my own goddamn dinner. Mavis
1: doesn't make dinner for me, that's why. (laughs) Fucking dog.
0: Actually, I should say um, that with the person I'm dating, he makes me dinner.
1: You were saying that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And
0: boy, oh boy, is that a good panty dropper. (laughs) Um, I I hate cooking, I hate it so much, and I'm not a good cook, really. And so to have someone spend the time and effort to make you a really good meal when you come over, that means everything to me. And so, um, yeah, let's just say he's not deprived of anything.
1: <laughs> good, good, I'm glad.
0: <laughs> but I'm just saying is that like all of your actions, contribute to whether you have a healthy sex life or not.
1: Everything ties into intimacy. Yeah. Every, like literally everything you do ties into intimacy and and sex together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um actually he was saying women have specifically women have more requirements mm-hmm. for sex. Um but one of them going into that like everything ties together, one of the things that actually lowers a woman's sex drive, per se, is uh, items on the to-do list. He was saying the more item, the more things that are kind of stacked up in a, in a woman's brain, in like, I have to do this, I got to get this done, the bigger the to-do list, the less likely sex is going to happen and or it's going to be appreciated. It can, it can go a long way if the other person just helps out with something in the house. If there's one less couple less chores to do or like maybe I feel maybe...
0: so seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's um it, it was interesting when I heard this because I was like, "Oh, this is that's actually so amazing because really what that ties into is the stress response, the stress hormone, cortisol." Mm-hmm. And in women when cortisol goes up, the sex drive can go down, and in men when the cortisol cortisol goes up, the sex drive goes up Ah. to a threshold and then it drops dramatically in some cases. So if there's too much stress, they can't even think about sex. But for the most part, when men start getting more stressed, it actually makes them more distracted with sex.
0: It's like the
1: fight or flight or sex response. Fight or flight or sex response, yeah. (laughs) You get really stressed out and you're like, oh fuck, I just want to get off right now. (laughs) Is exactly what it is. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> but for women it doesn't work that way.
0: Mm. It's it's
1: like, oh my God, I got all these things I gotta do. I cannot think about taking my clothes off right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because um <laughs> I'm re-watching Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I love that TV show because it's so like it just centers around family and mm. that's mm-hmm. really like all it talks about, and it's pretty wholesome and good lessons. But um kind of the running trope in most TV shows and movies is the stay-at-home mom who's so busy and she doesn't want to have sex. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which really irritates me because I don't think that that's entirely true. However, I said I felt seen because, um, on behalf of all women, (laughs) because when we have a literal laundry list of things to do, we get all stressed out and for, I can't speak on behalf of all women. But I think for most women, if you just helped out, you don't have to do everything, but just like put the dishes away. Sweep sweep the floor. yeah, And then be like, hey, nice dinner, babe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? That whole thing, that's a bigger discussion too. We discussed that on another video. I'm still editing. But um, duties in the household and how they're divvied up how how that's coordinated is important to a relationship too um but that's that's a different video
0: yeah yeah um so christian said that women have more requirements for sex which also makes sense because the world is a very dangerous place. So we need to have a lot of requirements to make sure we're not jumping in bed with a serial killer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or just a man that's not going to keep us safe. Um, so and also he said he, there's a study that shows that women are easier to fear condition than men.
1: Yeah, I wrote that down too.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting um, because one of the things that annoys the hell out of me um, is when men say that women are so nervous around other men or like they're like hesitant to do certain things or whatever Yeah. um, or like, oh yeah, so they dated like some bad dude, but like I'm not a bad dude. Yes, we know. Uh, (laughs) It's just that... When scary things happen to us, we become more afraid of those things. Yeah. Whereas of course guys can have fear as well, but it's easier for us to become more afraid of certain things or situations. And sometimes that means that we're afraid of men. And what's not going to help is being a dick about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that I th- I think that whole thing where you know men have started becoming this like, well, why are you why are you so afraid of me? Or like, why are you so afraid of guys? I think that's actually been perpetuated in modern times. And I think that largely comes from like novels and Hollywood. Literally, because if you talk to people who were in relationships back in like the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, 50s, you know, women had less external relationships with men than they do now. And that was large, like friendships, friendships. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't just because of like the monogamy and the jealousy of the male. It was actually because there's this, there was a genuine concern for the safety of women around other men. Mm -hmm. And that, was in my opinion, you know what, a few years ago, I probably wouldn't have thought this way, but now I look at it, I'm like, that is a really um, genuine way to think. It's a very authentic way to think. I think it's just normal to think that way. Uh, it, you know, violence against women is a very common thing.
0: Actually in Canada, one in three women have experienced sexual violence. Yeah, yeah. That's a really high statistic.
1: Yeah, it's it's really high. Um, And they were saying in this episode, the comparative percentage of assault against adult women and assault against adult men is like, it's somewhere in the 60s for women throughout Mm -hmm. their entire livelihood as adults. And it's 7% of adult men will encounter an assault. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think that that's just a massive discrepancy that just can't be ignored, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't think the answer is to be a man-hater, but I do also believe that, like, the biggest threat against women is is men. (laughs) Um, And so if you take that into account, um, the thing that's going to put your female partner in a sexy, horny mood is making her feel safe. Um, providing a safe place for her, being a safe person, and I don't. When I said providing a safe place, I don't mean like you buy her a house, but I mean like when she comes to your house, that's a safe place where she can be herself. She doesn't have to worry, and then you can listen to her when she talks to you about her day, and um, she feels protected because w- women don't want to have sex with someone that they are, they don't feel comfy with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just to run through the list that he made real quick, um, women have more requirements because of the things that they fear. Mm -hmm. And those things are social stigma, cultural standards that they may have like grown up with, with their family, that kind of thing, pregnancy and need to feel safe, which leads to connection, which leads to intimacy. Um, and then the items on the to-do list are also there as well. And that all of those tie into the fear response because those are all anxieties or fears, Mm -hmm. right? And you were saying women, um, are more conditioned to fear easier than men. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That makes sense actually, because I, I think on the first time we recorded this, we were talking about that. I just personally think, this is just personal opinion, men look at things happening to them more as challenges, as opposed to, I need to keep myself safe and I need to keep my child safe. Mm
0: -hmm. It's more
1: like encountering the challenge will likely present a better outcome, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think um, pregnancy is an interesting one because, I only started thinking about that recently and how if you're scared of getting pregnant, do you think you're going to want to have sex? Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. So, you know, those are some things that you can discuss with your partner. Um, You know, like, I don't know. There's so many options in that regard. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have requirements for sex?
1: I think... Not not really it's time and place. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's not really a lot of if you were going to generalize what the requirements for men are. I think they said they made a joke about it in there. Something about like just where. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I personally have a couple of things that would present hiccups for me. Um. I think every guy has their like things that they're like, I won't touch this with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> uh, for me, one of them is uh, arrogance. If somebody is arrogant, then... That's not a
0: big t- turn on. It's
1: it's not, right? Um, yeah, I just, I don't get that. I don't understand how, yeah, somebody being arrogant, not to you, but like...
0: About themselves.
1: About themselves or like uh presenting themselves as like vastly superior to other people like it's just not a turn on at all like it kind of just makes you go like why do you think so much of yourself like you're not that
0: (laughs) just wait until you have this vagina (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah right
0: (laughs) pass good call good call yeah i'm trying to think if i have other requirements no, not really. Um, than the ones that you already mentioned. Mm. But um I should say from experience and from other women that I've talked to as well, um they may have sex with you if they don't feel entirely comfy. But if they feel comfortable and safe with you, that sex is gonna be so much better um so much more passionate fiery and like whatever you guys are into everyone's different you Might be able to try new things or she might be like super interested in having sex more often because i know when i've been with partners that i didn't feel safe with i didn't have sex with them very often i just didn't want to yeah. so
1: get your sex right <laughs>
0: yeah i'm just like kind of curious about you know sex and guys like i know like maybe we already covered this but isn't is there anything women can do to get a dude in the mood um because we talked a lot about women and yeah i think
1: again generally most men are like if you want to go they'll go Every guy is going to have their things. I actually know a fair number of people. I wouldn't say a lot, but like I know a fair number of people who women who have had a hard time getting their men in their relationships to have sex more often or or have like pay more attention to the sex. Like they're more into other things. I had a friend who whose partner was just like. An all-out gamer, and that's all they wanted to do. And that's really common. I think that just ties into how addictive games run. can be. Um, I wouldn't say run. They they've done a really good job. They passed it up.
0: Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I have nothing against gamers. <clears throat> the nerds all come to my yard. So
1: yeah, but video games el- elicit the same dopamine response as sex. That's been studied. So that is. Something to look at. Um,
0: Who would rather game than have sex?
1: It's the same dopamine response, so it doesn't matter. It's the same.
0: Well, the same as an orgasm.
1: It is. It's the same. Same amount of dopamine.
0: You would say it's the same.
1: Yeah. Huh. <laughs> like it's not. Doesn't feel the same. <laughs> well, that's what I. <laughs> but but the brain doesn't care what it feels like. The brain cares how much juice you got from it. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've never been super into gaming, so I don't know.
1: I I would definitely say there are there are times like I'm playing a game right now and I maybe have had two hours a week to play it and it's an online game and I have a friend waiting for me to level up so we can do something together and it's kind of eating at me <laughs> and I would say there are days where I'm just like I want to throw everything down just to have a couple of hours to play the game and like, enjoy myself. Um, I think there's this like escapist. It allows escapism in a way that nothing else does. And I think that's what elicits that massive dopamine trigger, right? It's almost like I wouldn't say the high is the same as like doing an extreme sport, but I would say it's kind of the same thing, where like it's it takes you out of reality, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So I I would I don't know where we were going with this, but
0: what if a, what if you were planning on gaming and then yeah. a woman was like, hey Christian?
1: Yeah, I would put the game down, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I can't say this. Like if they were in the room,
0: oh, what if they called you?
1: Yeah, it's different. I don't know.
0: It de- I like your it de- willpower.
1: Yeah, it depends. It would depend on the situation. Like, if I'm kind of getting tired and I'm playing a game, I'd rather just finish the game. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it would just depend. Now, if they were there in the house, totally different story. I would just put the game down. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to relate. I don't know if I have something that's, like, that I would give up for sex. Or I mean, that I'd give up sex for.
1: Mm. Oh, pizza.
0: No, I wouldn't.
1: It's just so easy to have food and sex. But I'm saying like, if you had to give something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, forever, no. But I mean like, (laughs) you're talking about like video games, you know how sometimes it's hard to like put that down and no judgment. I totally get the appeal of video games. I'm just, I don't know if I have anything. Mm. I don't
1: know. It's something we should actually, uh, going back to what, what the topic was, like finding ways to get your guy to engage in sex and stuff. That's something we should explore is like the different kinds of things that like get men in the mood, mm-hmm. get women in the mood. And I think that's really we'll important. Have
0: candles in low light. we'll have room to set the mood. I mean, there are things that I wouldn't drop for sex just on principle, um, you know, like if I had prior engagements or whatever, but that's doesn't replace sex. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. One of the things in this podcast episode that we listened to, they were talking about a study that was done by Leonard Syme, who is a social he was a progenitor of social epidemiology. And
0: there's a lot of big words there, Christian.
1: (laughs) So he is he was a sociologist, but he became a social epidemiologist, um, which was a completely brand new field. So he was one of the first people ever to start this
0: field. Social contagion. What's epidemiology?
1: We'll look that up. Uh.
0: (laughs) Wikipedia is asking for my money. Is the study and analysis of the distribution, who, when, and where, patterns, and determinants of health and disease conditions in defined populations?
1: There you go. Anyway, this guy, he's from Manitoba, actually, Canada. And John Gottman was talking about him. And they did a study that has been replicated the results have been replicated across the world numerous times that show the biggest predictor to how long you will live and how healthy you will be is the quality of the relationships with the closer people in your life so your core family and friends Mm. the quality of those relationships trumps diet, exercise, and even certain biological markers that are really important. Um, cardiovascular disease, cholesterol, that kind of thing. Uh, so the quality of their relationships with the closest people in your life is more important to determining your health than diet or exercise. And I thought that That was... is
0: a weight off my shoulders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the replicated studies have been able to show The quality of your relationships predicts how long you will live, how healthy you are or will be, how quickly you recover from sickness, how wealthy you will be, how well your kids will do, and the health of your children as they age into middle-aged adults. So... (laughs) The quality of your relationships determines more than your life, which is just something that's absolutely fascinating.
0: Mic Um, drop. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. It is.
1: The fact that your your relationships can impact the health of your children when they're 30, 40, 50 years old. Like, yeah. And yet we just don't. I think society does a decent job now. Like people are trying to learn about themselves and relationships. But think about how long we've had civilization and like relationships have we we know nothing about each other. <laughs> like nobody knows any nobody knows how to engage in relationships, right? Um that's what we're doing on this podcast is learning and and trying to pass on what we learn but the fact that it is just that impactful is absolutely insane.
0: Yo. <laughs> you should go to counseling. <laughs> <laughs> um that's yeah. crazy. Well, you know that reminds me of um what's it called? Uh I think it's generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um and the effects of trauma can be passed down from generation to generation to generation.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um yeah. and one because when people are traumatized, um they tend to repeat those traumatic experiences with other people. Or, um, and or they carry that like hurt and pain and then that affects their relationships with people, but also it affects the whole family. Mm. And so it just keeps passing down and down and down until someone decides enough. Um, And so, yeah, that's really interesting. But then also like your friendships affect that too. Yep. Choose your people wisely.
1: Yep, The five closest people to you determine basically your your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a level of self-awareness and resiliency that can go into like altering how that affects you. But at the end of the day, like who you surround yourself with is going to largely determine how you feel at the end of any given day.
0: Do you know who your five closest people are?
1: I I actually don't. Um you don't have to name it. But. No, I, I actually don't. It's something I need to work on because I have like pockets of friends here and pockets of friends here and like a person here and a person there. And I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's something that I, I actually have. I need more self-awareness and
0: insight on that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If uh, you know, you don't see me anymore, it's pretty-
1: <laughs> <laughs> your friend. Christian has reassessed his <clears throat> life. Yeah. Well,
0: I know. <laughs>
1: I'm going to Antarctica. <laughs> Fuck this place.
0: <laughs> I don't know my five closest people either. Um, so that's my homework. Hmm. That's your homework if you desire <laughs> to figure that out.
1: Fix your five.
0: Fix your five.
1: I like that, I like that actually. Fix your five. Fix your five. Fix your five, motherfuckers.
0: That's right. <laughs> Mother efforts. What did Usually you- Usually you don't swear on the podcast. No,
1: I'm feeling kind of frisky. Not sick anymore, so. <laughs> can't
0: push you away. <laughs> oh yeah, speaking of like health and living longer, I'm gonna get the stat right this time. Um, Men who kiss their wife goodbye before leaving work live five years longer than men who don't.
1: Yes. Yeah, last time you said five times longer. Yeah, that was pretty. I
0: was like, what? I was like, wait,
1: they're 250 to 300 years old? Yo,
0: I've discovered the, or John Gottman has discovered the fountain (laughs) of youth. Just kiss your motherfucking wives.
1: That was interesting. Um, he referenced a book, a documentary or a book studying, uh, kissing. Oh, and I, I'll go back and we, we got like a whole bunch of resources from this episode, you guys should just should go and listen to it, but there's so many things I want to cover.
0: You wrote more notes than I did.
1: I want to cover like so many individual things on here because there's a host of resources I'm like, that is so cool. I wish I knew that. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. A book about kissing. Yeah. Like why we kiss.
1: I think it it was about like why we kiss, the impact of kissing, what effects it has, that kind of thing. Um, remember we were talking to that woman, she was selling her, she was like a relationship counselor or like a dating coach and she was selling her course package to women and it was teaching them. Like she's got a no kissing for three months rule.
0: Oh, we were talking to her.
1: I messaged her. I had a whole bunch of questions for her regarding it. And I messaged her and she wouldn't respond. She never responded.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. She she doesn't kiss for three months.
1: Yeah. So she teaches people. She teaches women that to get a good, high quality man. To date or be in a relationship with um, not to kiss them for three months. I understand the I understand what it is and why. Like, I understand the the thinking behind it. Um, But what doesn't make sense to me is why would you hold back a natural progression? Like if you if you want to kiss somebody, you should just kiss them. Right. Like, I, I don't feel like you're accomplishing anything by not being authentic and I also think it is very important that two people like kissing each other. If you kiss and it's not working, it's not gonna work ever. Like, you know, maybe your first kiss is kind of like fumble, right? But if you're kissing and one person's kind of like, eh, it's a five.
0: They're all teeth. (laughs)
1: They're all teeth or like, you know, it just
0: that tongue down way too far.
1: If it just doesn't feel better than meh, it's not going to work. Like the the kissing is so crucial for intimacy between people. Like it's a genetic thing. It's bound in us that kissing is like super, super important for us. So I just don't get it. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just don't get it.
0: My <clears throat> goal is just not to have sex on the first date, so. Yep. <laughs> I don't know, that's interesting. Um, I don't have the self-restraint to do that ever. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I wish that she messaged us back because I do actually remember this person. Um, and I would like to know their thought process behind it or if they like did any research, probably not.
1: Um. She listed research? But, like the, in my opinion, the conflicting research is heads and tails above that. Like it's just, there's just such a vast amount of research to show how important kissing is, and so I just yeah, I'm not buying it is what I'm saying.
0: Oh yeah. Um. So in the last in our last episode, I talked about how I grew up in like a very religious community. And some people didn't even hold hands until they got married.
1: Yeah, that's too much.
0: (laughs) And then uh, some people, their very first kiss was on their wedding day. (sighs) Which is awkward for two reasons. One, your first kiss is in front of your family and friends. Two, what if you don't like kissing them, as we've just discussed? And, like... I don't know. I mean, to each their own. But I also am like, I have to have sex with someone before I marry them. Um, Because what if you don't have the chemistry?
1: Yeah, I think uh, chemistry is huge. Like, there has to be some semblance of chemistry. With intercourse and, like, sex, you can build on it. You it Like, the first time does not determine how it's going to be, right? Like, you, you can really build on it and change the sex so that it becomes better over well and time. you
0: should be working on it
1: yeah um but the actual chemistry itself needs to be there right like maybe your first times having sex with someone is awkward it and always this, is yeah and you know the second third gets better um and then other times the second third gets worse <laughs> and you're like yeah, okay. Yeah, I was right the first or time. Or they don't
0: like doing something that you want or you don't want to do something that they want. Or one big problem with me um, with one of my pa- – or my first boyfriend, actually. um, I have a really high sex drive. He had a very low sex drive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't having sex as much as I wanted to. And he was just, like, perfectly content to just, like – Maybe he's asexual. But to just go like a long time without having sex. Mm. And it was just like, it was just not good. Um, and so fortunately I didn't marry him. Um, <laughs> but I, I couldn't live like that. I mean, if there was like an illness or something, obviously I would understand. Yeah. But that was just who they were. Um, have sex before marriage, kids. <laughs> <laughs> This is super interesting because John Gottman also worked with babies. He studied babies, he studied children, and he studied children um, in the family and how they relate to their parents and stuff. And Mm. I thought this was incredibly fascinating. He can tell by taking a sample of the kid's urine how a relationship is going between the parents because he can detect high levels of cortisol. Yeah, and I thought that was very interesting because it just shows that if you're not getting along with your partner, if you're fighting in front of the kids, if there's tension, whatever, your kids are directly affected by that. Yeah, and their cortisol is naturally going to be really high. Yeah,
1: and that can that can lead to people developing, kids developing um, long term trauma response like flight or fright, flight or fright. saying Halloween anymore, Christian.
0: Flight or fright. Flight or
1: fright. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, flight,
0: fright or sex.
1: That can lead to people having long-term fight or flight responses or freeze responses as well. Yeah, with just con- constant high cortisol levels. Um, one of the things they mentioned about that with making up with your partner. Mm
0: Mm-hmm, yes.
1: When you you have a fight, when you have children, it's actually important that the child, a child can't grasp the idea. It's more like abstract idea that you've made up if they can't see it. Mm -hmm. So it's actually vital that the child physically sees, you hug it out, so mm-hmm. to speak.
0: Or apologize or whatever. Yeah. You can have the serious conversation behind doors.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Have the serious conversation. Like, because
0: your kids shouldn't be involved in that, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hug it out. Kiss it out. You know, apologize in front of your kids. Apologize to your kids if you need to, um, if you had a big fight in front of them. No one, no one is perfect. And I'm not married and I don't have kids, but I've observed married couples and kids and it's hard. Um, I mean, it's hard and I'm not even doing it myself. (laughs) Yeah. And so <laughs> things are going to be tense. You're going to be stressed. And so we're not saying that you need to be perfect, but you need to model certain things to your children.
1: Yeah, there's just there's just things that you can do that just make a very large positive impact or things that you, if you neglect make a large negative impa- impact. Uh that's really all it comes down to. And in this particular case, when a child sees Their parents fighting, if they don't see them make up physically in front of them in some capacity, the stress response stays, the cortisol level stays high Mm -hmm. and that impacts the growth of your child. Whereas the cortisol levels actually noticeably drop to baseline when they see that their parents are okay. Mm -hmm. That's really all it comes down to is just, having a positive impact on your kids or neglecting and having a negative impact.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to to model to your kids that you can fight well Mm. and you can make up after a fight because that's wasn't modeled to me. And so I grew up thinking like a fight was the end. It was death. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, I have to keep everything inside because I can't fight with my partner because if I fight with them, they're going to leave me. Mm, And um, now I'm like, let's fight it out. (laughs) I don't fight. Like it's not like a fight. I'm sure after like years have gone by, you probably have a fight, but like, it's more just let's just talk about this because I know that we can get through this and I know that we can make up.
1: Yeah. I like this point because I I know people have to work on this. (laughs) 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 And I was someone who had to work on it myself. So go for it. They talked about how the traits of the four horsemen of your relationship apocalypse. They a couple of those traits particularly tie into narcissistic behaviors and narcissists in general and narcissists. Yeah. Narcissists, they're not born narcissists. It's it's trained trauma behavior essentially turns you into a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And two defining traits of narcissists are defensiveness and victim behavior or self-pity, which those two kind of just they're slightly different, but kind of fall into the same thing yeah so narcissists are big on self-pity woe is me the world is against me um you know my girlfriend's always doing this to me and my boyfriend's always doing this to me um and the defensiveness comes into that too and the counter-attacking so the, it's just very interesting right the the point of it is that those behaviors are all about the self so when you're being defensive like it's you're completely shutting the other person out of the conversation and now it's all about you so even though you feel like you're being attacked you're actually just making everything about you as opposed to you know being a part of the conversation so that's kind of the issue with um being overly defensive. And again, there is a there's a place for when you put your foot down and don't let somebody walk over you. That's not really defensiveness, mm-hmm. right? That's different. Um But kind of what we're talking about is where someone is trying to explain how they feel and then or just saying anything that is not an attack on you. And then suddenly it's just, well, fuck you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um But yeah, that's I just found it interesting because that I didn't realize that until listening to this episode, that that's that's really what that is. It's just all about being about yourself instead of being about the relationship.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And and the victimhood. Nobody likes the victimhood crap, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? You may have been a victim and I deeply empathize with you. Watch our last episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at some point, you need to leave that victim mentality behind. It's okay to have it for a while because it's very understandable depending on what you have gone through. But the world doesn't revolve around you. And it's not everyone else's fault for everything that happens yeah um and eventually you have to start taking ownership for yourself
1: yeah that goes back to seeing everything through a filter right um the self the the victim mentality not that the victim mentality because some people really don't understand this right some people who have been victims or no friends who are victims of things when people say victim mentality, they immediately associate it with being a victim. And mm-hmm. those are not the same thing. Good point. So a victim mentality is when you associate the world revolving around you and everything is about you.
0: Or happening to you. Or
1: happening to you and mm-hmm. woe was me and all this kind of stuff, right? So the victim mentality is uh is more the problem. Everybody in the entire world is a victim of external circumstances at some point in time, whether it's from another human being, whether it's from a natural disaster in British Columbia. We've had enough of those this year. Um that that's different. And you know, you have every right in those circumstances to feel like a victim. Um And lots of people will be compassionate and sympathetic to that. It's when you create these imaginary circumstances, or you create a circumstance, not even create a circumstance, you're just in a circumstance where you could completely control the outcome of the situation. But instead of doing so, you go, well, I am so weak and I suck. So I obviously can't overcome my situation but you're not willing to put in any work whatsoever. That's a victim mentality. And yeah, I mm-hmm. could just bite dust. I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. It used to be me. That used to be me.
0: Me too. I, a good example for relationships is that, you know, as I've mentioned, um, and I will mention it again. I dated a lot of shitty guys and for a long time, I thought, why is this happening to me? Why do I always attract these shitty guys? It doesn't make them any less shitty, but I realized that the common denominator was me. Mm. And that I was choosing to date them, that I had issues that was making me attracted to them or drawn to them. And when I realized that, I took a year off dating (laughs) because I realized like, oh shit, I need to get my head on straight because I'm going after all of these guys that suck and they still suck, but I can change what I do. I can't change them, but I can change myself and I can change who I go out with, so.
1: You shouldn't look to be changing everybody to suit your needs. You should be finding ways to meet your own needs, right? Like you can't. Yeah. You can't change other people to to fix to fit your relationship style, right? You can find someone. And if they're compatible enough, then you work together to build a relationship. That's that's how relationships are built. You find someone who's compatible enough, and then you work together. But when you f- keep getting toxic people, and then it's well, all men are bad, all men are shitty, all women are you know crazy, like w- these are things we say jokingly sometimes, but these are also mentalities that people have <laughs> so, <laughs> right? The common denominator ends up being the person who keeps putting themselves into that circumstance. Mm-hmm. If you keep walking out into the hurricane, you're the problem, not the hurricane.
0: That's a good metaphor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I just want to make it clear that that doesn't mean that we're excusing other people's behavior. No, no. If someone's shitty, that's on them. But um, we can be more careful. What was the thing you said about the five? Your little tagline. Fix your five? Fix your five. <laughs> if you're surrounded by assholes, you need to fix your five.
1: I'm going to, we're going to have to clip that from this one. Fix your five. Yeah. Fix your five. That's going to be a thing now. You need
0: to make a gif. And a hashtag. Fix your five. <laughs> That's hashtag. a gif.
1: That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, well, you were saying just now, though, about... Uh, What were you saying about people?
0: We don't excuse their behavior. We
1: don't excuse. Yeah, it's not that you excuse people's bad behavior. Don't excuse people's bad behavior. It just doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that they gave you bad behavior. You still have to fix your circumstance. You're still responsible for picking yourself back up and fixing your own problems mm-hmm. afterwards right like that's the thing yeah you might have friends and stuff to help you out but it you know they're not going to do everything for you and they shouldn't
0: yep. Yeah. <laughs> all Yep. right guys well thank you for joining us
1: yes and John Gottman's new book is called Eight Dates.
0: Oh, that's the one. Yeah. We we should read that book and talk about it.
1: We should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's very interesting. But go check out this episode from Armchair Experts. Really good. Uh, I think it is just generally a good podcast anyway. But if you're really interested in cultivating good relationships with a romantic partner or with your family, John Gottman is the go to guy. So yeah.
0: fix your five. Stop yeah. walking into the hurricane.
1: Was it stop walking into the hurricane or
0: yeah, or just don't walk into the hurricane? <laughs> <laughs> just don't even do it once.
1: <laughs> fix your five. There you go. Alright guys. Love this, you. <laughs>
0: this
1: is Love in the Valley. I'm Christian. I'm Michaela. Alright, we're fucking tired, so goodbye. <laughs> Okay.